stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome to Parks and Recollection, our podcast where we visit our old friends in Pawnee one episode at a time. I am literally Rob Lowe, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan Yang. What up, Rob? Alan Yang has been writing on Parks and Rec since he was a wee <laughs> puppy. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time, but it, yeah, it's been funny watching the episodes because I haven't seen them in a while, and it's like, man, it's like a different world. Seeing all these actors, they, they look different, and you know, it's just like we're in a different part of our lives for, uh, back then for sure. And today's episode is the canvassing episode, which is the second episode ever of the show that um, aired on April 16th, 2009. That feels like a million years ago. Written by Rachel Axler and directed by Seth Gordon. Now, do you remember Seth Gordon, the director? Do Because is he the same Seth Gordon who... I remember as an actor in the eight, in the late seventies and eighties. Am I think am I right or am I wrong? I think it's a different Seth Gordon because I believe this Seth Gordon uh, came from the world of documentary. He did a documentary called King of Kong, which is an excellent documentary, and then he went on to do a bunch of movies and stuff. So uh, it was it was great to have him on board. He, he's a very successful director, and I think this was pretty early on in his career. So I think it might be dueling Seth Gordons. The world can never have too many. That's what happens. I would like to hand it over to you, Alan. Give us our, uh, our synopsis on what this episode did. Leslie Nope, played by Amy Poehler, plans for an upcoming town hall meeting about her proposal to turn the pit into a park. She invites her mother, Marlene Griggs Nope, but Marlene only feigns interest. Leslie holds a subcommittee meeting, and city planner Mark warns her it might be too early for a meeting with the public. Leslie, however, remains confident about the meeting and says the gang will be doing neighborhood canvassing to try to win support for the park. But... The canvassing is a total bust. Only citizens against the park show up to the meeting and loudly voice disapproval Boo, in an attempt to say. turn the meeting. Yeah, classic town hall, second town hall in two episodes. In an attempt to turn the meeting around, Leslie tries several tactics, like planting intern April in the audience and droning on about 
construction specifics. But eventually, Leslie resorts to filibustering herself to save the project from complete shutdown. After an intense public comment flogging, Leslie emerges victorious and the park project is not derailed. So that's a very quick summary of this episode. Listen, the reason we're doing this podcast is so many people love it and and we love it and we love our experience doing it. And we, it's fun to go back and look under the hood. Um, but that said, when I looked back at this episode, I'm struck by a couple things. Um, and I want to ask you, Alan, because you were there. Please. I was a young pup doing the best I could could contribute. <laughs> um, all right. So here's, here is my question. First of all, I was stunned to meet Leslie Nope's mother. Now, maybe I wasn't paying attention, which is entirely possible. But I don't remember Leslie Nope's mother in my four years <laughs> on the show. Am I wrong? It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. So, yeah, it opens with us, uh, Marlene, and you're like, man, I re- now I remember being in the writer's room talking about, okay, well, we want to give this show something of an emotional hook in addition to the work stuff. And I think the logic was, okay, obviously she cares about the pit and the park and, and Ann Perkins, who she just met, but it's like, do we need emotional heft? So we had her seek her mother's approval so that's like the beginning of this episode and um you know again i was not in charge of the show this is purely mike and greg who are the showrunners like making these creative decisions but you know i think it's at the time you know we talked about the pilot right we talked about the pilot last episode and generally the pilot is widely conceived to be the hardest episode to write but i think a close runner-up is episode two. Because episode two, you're like, okay, we have the show. We have a setup. You know, we talked about premise pilot versus new guy pilot versus sort of a regular episode of the show version of a pilot. Parks, as we talked about, is kind of a premise pilot, right? We set up what the show is. It's 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 Leslie finding this pit and 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 deciding to turn it into a park, meeting Ann Perkins, all of that stuff. Okay, great. If you have a premise pilot, it's not really a typical episode of the show. A premise pilot sets up the world. Then you're essentially kind of in episode two figuring out what the show is and how these characters interact. And I think, Rob, you know, I think you totally picked up on something interesting, which is Parks and Rec started out as a workplace show, but not all the characters were in the same workplace. Because you got Leslie and Tom and, 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 you know, April and Ron, they're kind of in the same office. But then a lot of the other characters are different, have different jobs, they're in different parts of the world. You got Mark, who's a city planner, you got Ann, who's a nurse, and then you have Andy, who's just Ann's boyfriend. So there was a challenge early on in the show of trying to bring these characters together and put them in the same stories. And so this episode, it's done by putting them on a committee together, and then the workplace, the quote-unquote workplace, is just their their sort of goal of getting this park made. So, I mean, this took a lot of work, man. It took a lot of work in the writer's room. <laughs> I mean, I, that first scene with Leslie Nope and her mother, I mean, that was some full Sandra Bullock 1990s movie Steel Magnolia stuff going on there, man. <laughs> that was heavy. And don't you feel bad for Leslie? It's like, man, you don't you think about these later seasons. She's so upbeat. And then in these early episodes, she's just kind of getting shit on by people. Like, like, man, I feel bad for her. <laughs> like her mom's being mean to her. It's like, no, don't be mean to Leslie. I love Leslie. But you're so early on in the show. We 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 didn't, you know, we weren't doing that yet. Parks s- somehow lived to fight another day. And when you look back on it, the number one thing that's so different is Leslie is just gets hammered all the time in these early episodes. You know, it's going to be a recurring theme on this show that, thank God, NBC let the show live, right? NBC let the show live, let it sort of get air, on, you know, get sort of the ground under its feet and figure out its way and, and um, you know, became the show we, we know and love. But 
Um, without that, I, I think it's tough, right? Because some shows don't spring fully formed in, in the first couple episodes, and that's certainly the case with this one. So as I said, you know, you're, you're looking to sort of figure out all the character dynamics. Episodes two, three, four, you're trying to figure out, you know, what we would call in the writer's room sometimes an, an er episode, a UR dash episode, basically. Like, what is the, the, the sort of elemental version of the show? What are the main conflicts? What are the sort of you know, what is the ideal version of an episode of Parks look like? And so you can, you can figure out like in this episode, like we're still trying to sort of gain our, gain our footing. And, and, and like you said, Ron and Leslie were usually opposed in this one. Ron's pretty light. You know, you think about Parks, you think about Leslie and Ron, kind of the two, you know, hugest characters in the show and Ron's pretty light in this one. So, you know, I think we're still figuring it out and, and just a window into the process of writing these episodes. We, we rewrote episode two for like 12 weeks. We rewrote episode three for like eight weeks. And then episode four happened to be one that I wrote the first draft of. And after that draft, we had to shoot almost immediately. So we just ran out of time. Like the, <laughs> the shooting kind of, you know, it's like you, you spend like three months rewriting the first couple. And it's like, oh shit, we got to shoot Monday. And it's like, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to divert blame on that. But it was certainly, I remember me and Greg and Mike and we got together at some point. I was just like, oh shit, we got to shoot this on Monday. And um, it catches up with you, man. It catches up with you. So yeah, it's, it's just figuring out the show. And, and these, were, these were late nights, I remember. When people ask what it's like to do a network television show, not a, not a streamer. A streamer, you sip espressos all day and tell people, oh, I don't feel like delivering my episodes until I go to the south of France for six weeks. That's the way they do it over there. <laughs> it sounds like you're describing my life now. I'm kidding. <laughs> the season I decided we don't want to make another season of Master of None until I explore the Dalai Lama's life in Tibet for six months. And they go, great, do it. Uh, don't spoil our next season. Yeah, don't spoil our next season. <laughs> but a network TV, it's. I feel like the schedule is so unrelenting that it feels like you're hanging over the engine, hanging over the front of the engine of a freight train, laying down the rails. It, it 100% feels that way because it's so relentless, right? It's so relentless. And Rob, you know this. So the writers will work on the script for a long time, right? So, so we'll, we'll break the story. We'll, we'll write the outline. We'll send it to network, send it to studio. They'll, they'll give us notes. We'll rewrite. It comes back to the room, rewrite, come back, punch up the jokes. Then you do a table read. So generally the table read is, you know, a week or t- week before you shoot. Or, and by the way, if that read goes poorly, which every show has reads that don't go perfectly, you might start from scratch. <laughs> you might start from scratch. And once I'm getting, I'm looking at producer Greg right now, he remembers, but, but you might have to start over. And that means you're Frankensteining a script, which means that all the writers are pitching in and writing different scenes. And uh, that's how you get behind, right? So you're trying to stay ahead. You're trying to be, have scripts ahead of time. But man, it is exactly like that train track metaphor you said, because you just fucking run out of time. It, it's, just run out of time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just too many episodes. We've only made 25 episodes of Master in like seven years. <laughs> it's, like, it's insane. That defies logic. <laughs> well, it's impressive that they make any sense, much less that they're good. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's so crazy to watch this episode. So if people are watching along, you even see moments where Leslie is, is unethical. Right, you, she starts out. She talks yes. about cheating in high school. It's like Leslie doesn't cheat. Like she doesn't cheat. She's a paragon of virtue. Like how dare you do that to Leslie? But, but you know, it, again, that's the kind of thing where you're just kind of calibrating the character and kind of calibrating where the comedy comes from, right? And and in this one again, it c- keeps coming back to. It feels like in these episodes, it's everyone in the world against Leslie. I was shocked by that moment, actually, yeah. that little moment where Leslie talks about cheating and also sort of her edge. Yeah, she's always been ambitious. This ambition had a little bit of edge to it. That so, I'm I'm curious about the two like the if you okay the speech she has in this episode about 
cheating when she was young. There's that version. But then there's the version where she finds her voice and it would be something like this. You tell me if I'm wrong. This is how the character would change. She'd be like, yes, I cheated in, uh, in, in junior high. And then I did not leave my room for the depression that I had for six months. That would be the Leslie Nope we know and love. Or it would be, turns out everybody in my class cheated. I, of course, did not. Yes. And it'd be, that's what it would be, right? <laughs> You're right on it. And, and you should, let's, let's do season eight right now. Let's do that episode first. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you get a written by credit. We'll, we'll, we'll pitch it out together. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, totally. And I think one of the things, again, season one, you were trying to not only figure out the characters, one of the most important things when you're writing comedy is what are the characters' flaws? Like that is ultimately, you know, in drama as well, right? What are their flaws? What draws you to them? What are their vulnerabilities? A flaw also gives you a comedic game. And so in this yeah. episode, we're again, it's, you can feel the writers figuring it out. Obviously, Amy figuring it out along with us. And and in this one, yeah, she's she's a little bit immoral. And I think later on, exactly what you said, her flaw would be she cares too much. She's too pure. She's too overbearing. She's too good at her job. And in these early episodes, you know, you're still looking for, eh, maybe she's a little bit unethical or maybe she's, you know, a little bit insecure and all that stuff. And it's, it's kind of fascinating if you're a fan of the show to, to see that stuff change over time. I always wondered too, again, because this show started at its first iteration with the network going to Greg Daniels going, the office is a massive hit. We love it. Would you do a spinoff? And obviously it became Parks and Rec. But I always wonder if this early Leslie we're seeing isn't really without an unconscious or conscious version of, of a female Michael Scott. I mean, I can't speak for those guys. I'm sure when you make a massive world-changing hit, it's in your DNA a little bit, right? You think back to the lessons you learned on that show. You, lear- you think back to those lessons, and I'm sure they're like, well, yeah, look, in that, in that show, you get a lot of comedy about the boss making mistakes and being a very inappropriate character. But you realize, look back, they're, they're completely different shows. And that's, again, sort of a, a good reminder that you have to write to the talents of your performers, number one. And number two, you know, having Mike in the mix was, was interesting because Mike became such a creative voice for the show and, and, and you know, ultimately ran the show for the later seasons. And his ethos is a little different from The Office's. It was a little bit less cringy comedy and a little bit more hopeful, optimistic, heartfelt comedy. And I think you see, just like you said, Rob, when you were saying, you know, well, season four, Leslie, would be this. I think we actually see inklings of that later on in the episode when she does the filibuster because that is sort of comedy of her solving the problem and being hyper-competent and being smart and doing something that, yes, is funny, but also is more in character of her being super sort of hyper-competent and figuring something out and doing kind of the right thing. And, and you know, later on in the episode, or later on in the series, rather, um, we see more examples of that, where she brings everyone together, she does something crazy, but all in the interest of getting the job done. So that's kind of, you know, what the filibuster is. That was, that was something we kind of gleaned from some of the research we did. Um, we actually went to some town halls. When the filibuster happened, I was like, ah, this is, this is the beginning of the show we know and love. That moment where she filibusters, first of all, it's laugh out loud funny. And it's the comedy, as you say, of her being super diligent at what she does in a really, and, and using that as an opportunity for comedy and not plot. Yes. I got a note from the producer here that says, uh, take credit for the filibuster. It was your idea. Here's my thing about taking credit for ideas. 
I don't remember almost anything like that I came up with. Like I always like I hate to take credit for anything because I'm always like, did I come up with that? And by the way, that's a big thing in writers' rooms where people will fight like after the fact. Like that was my joke. It's like no, that was my joke, and people will like argue over credit. I'm just like, look, man, everyone writes everything. Even if an episode has your name on it, everyone worked on it. I always there's very few things that I remember. Like I wrote that. Like I just I just. I almost don't care, but I also am like, man, like that's a hard thing for me to say. I definitely took credit for that. If Gre- Greg, if you're telling me I, I wrote it, maybe it's in the notes, but I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. Alan Yang <laughs> has fingerprints. Let's put it that way. Are all over the filibuster moment in this episode, which for me is the quintessential moment. The other thing I notice is so much of this, of these episodes would have comedy in them in the later episodes and in these early episodes they're um sort of plot but like there's a, just a little thing where they um come into uh a- a- i think it's Anne's house and and uh Pratt's characters playing um rock band right yeah <laughs> and there's like i mean there's that joke that's the joke but there's no other joke around that and i promise you in season 2 uh, there would have been all kinds of jokes about like what song, talking heads about why they were playing that song. By the time I got on the show, you'd have the famous candy bags and the candy bags, right? That's what we called them. Right? Yeah, yeah. Candy bag. And the candy bags were a list of jokes, sometimes 20, <laughs> that when you did your talking head, you would do and maybe they would use them and maybe they wouldn't, but you had to do them. And that that's how comedy driven the talking heads became is in this episode uh, this episode number 2 the talking heads are just that's why it was important for us to go to the meeting it's like really dragnet style <laughs> exposition almost it's almost like a doc it actually is like a documentary which we went away from a lot in later seasons but yeah that scene where they walk in on on Andy and, and Mark and April playing rock band kind of made me laugh looking back at it cuz there was a time there was a period of time in the writers room where we had a rock band in the office and it was the most massive time waster I've ever seen on any show I've ever worked on. <laughs> we would play for hours. And it was like Mike would play with us. So he's the boss. So we were just like, yeah, if, if we're going to play another, let, let's play another Beatles song on Rock Band. We would play for hours. So that was a huge time waster. So it made me laugh to see them play My Own Worst Enemy by Lit. And then the other thing was, was <laughs> Andy Andy talks about his band in this episode. I, for, like, I forget about how early that comes up. He, call, he, he talks about the band. And in this band... The band has a very off-color name. He says the band's called Just the Tip. And then that band, I guess, would become Mouse Rat. And in the public forum, he's like, yeah, we're looking for a bassist. Like, we, we need a bassist. <laughs> that bassist ends up becoming me in the later episodes. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> I guess I applied. To, like, I heard about that from the thing. So that was very funny to you me. You always wanted to be in the band. <laughs> Come on. You were in that writer's room yeah. lobbying. Um, what did Mike Schur play? In rock band, what what uh, instrument was his instrument? He kind of did everything. Uh, we didn't have a ton of great singers in the room, so that was always kind of an embarrassing thing. It was always like you know, just kind of uh, just kind of getting along. I don't think anyone was super good at the game, but um, as we played more, I think we got better and better. But if you're a writer out there and you're listening to this, be a comedy writer because <laughs> in those writers' rooms, you get to play rock band. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. 
Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month, plus a $100 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For me, sometimes the best bits aren't necessarily the performances or the writing or any of it. Like it's the technical stuff of how you make a TV show, which I, I continue to love, even though this is my business. I love, you know, how people make a television show. And one of the things I noticed about this episode is there's one car scene. It's clearly the first car scene in the series. Um, and I'm telling you what, I promise you they shot this episode with store-bought GoPros. They did not have it together at all. It's like, you know, like the old GoPros that we, that you were first out where everything was like a vaguely a sort of fisheye lens, sort of. So your face was like just a smidge distorted. That's what that, that scene was. I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I noticed is like some of the talking heads were just super profile. Like you don't see their faces. Like there's like one with their moms. Like, wait, what is this? Like I can barely see her. Just a different <laughs> filmmaking technique. Like that's like, that's what I would shoot for a drama or something. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like an A24 movie. It's like, yes. hell, and you're like pointing. It's like, yeah, like, you know, like very slant. It's a Robert like, Eggers this? movie. It's <laughs> yeah. like the fucking lighthouse. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, the Parks Direct season, season one going wild with the, with the cinematography. But, well, listen, uh, don't, then don't get me started on this one. So what is the, you guys have a name for it. I used to know it. I'm aged and can't remember anything. When there are pr- private scenes that, in theory, the documentary crew wouldn't be allowed to be in, they always shot them through windows or a distance. And what were the, what was that called? It was, it was on the slug line. It would say. I, I certainly remember enjoying writing those scenes because you would get not only through the performance spy shot and, and spy shot that's what it was that's what it was spy shot you remembered so see you know i did not remember working. that's greg levine who is the um, oh, okay. quickly spy, becoming sorry, the mvp the- <laughs> greg it. it's clear I'm, it's I'm clear i'm so glad greg is in the room here <laughs> and greg levine um not only wrote on all the parks and recreation but more importantly he ran the computer in the writer's room <laughs> yeah absolutely but but the I can't believe, yeah, I can't remember that. But, you know, there's an intimacy there, and we would use those scenes, again, like you said, to show when there's something that they don't want the documentarians to know. And there's immediately, just filmmaking-wise, and, and, you know, much later in my career, I, I start directing and, and figuring this stuff out, but you get this extra layer that's really, really powerful. And so I think, you know, we, we didn't want to overuse it either. But we do use it once in this episode. I think it's like through the, through the door, you know. And, and in this episode, and with a, what I couldn't believe was this spy shot, the way it was shot, made it look like the spy was a stalker and was going to yes. come and murder people. <laughs> um, this episode was like brought me completely back. I remember that house. Oh, I remember that barking dog. This is the stuff, the weird stuff that actors notice. There's an off-camera dog barking during someone's coverage in this and the canvassing, and the sound is awful. It's real, man. It's it's real. <laughs> it's like, you guys really were going for the documentary stuff, because by the time I got there, like, hold it, hold it, hold it, please. It's a dog barking. 
five blocks away. Could we say, can we get somebody on that, please? Can we have somebody just hand? Just hold it. Just sit in the sun. It's really true. I mean, I think we really, again, I think every show takes on a life of its own, right? And I think this is, you know, one of the examples of, of we tried, I think, season one. It came based on some of the research that, again, the show did as a whole. And I think some of the ideas Mike and Greg had where, you know, before this episode and before the writer's room, we went to Claremont City Hall and we talked to a city manager and a city planner and we learned about... They, they, you know, to Mike and Greg's credit, they wanted to learn what the actual process was if this were real. Like, if this were a real documentary, if there were a pit and people were trying to make it into a park, we talked to the people on local government and they just laughed. They're like, it'll take years. <laughs> like, it'll take years. There'll be so many steps and it will be annoying as fuck. Like, it's going to be really annoying. Like, it's just going to be really annoying. And, you know, I think that gave Mike and Greg some, some, some ammunition and it, it inspired them because they're like, okay, this seems like fertile ground for a show. And, and, you know, the other thing we did was we went to, or we sat in on town halls and it was, it was not too dissimilar from what we see in the show, which is a lot of people going on and talking and talking and talking and a lot of them not making any sense. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying these, these, these town halls are a waste of time. They're the lifeblood of our democracy. But a lot of the people at the town hall are not really making a ton of sense. And a lot of the city council members are doing nothing. They're just not even listening. And they're just like making notes or like doing other shit all the time. And so that was kind of, we're like, oh, real life is is pretty funny in this respect, and I think we kept putting those town halls into the show because it was people rambling on and on, and 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 some of the people we put in, you think what they say is crazy, like there's some there's some wilder stuff that happens at those meetings. If you ever sit in on them, you can sit on them virtually now. I think you can just go, you can you go to the meetings, and I actually know a friend of mine is on the LA City Council now. I'm like, man, that is a tough job. That is a tough, tough job. Well, and also there are, um, depending on how the towns governments are set up, some town halls. So some city councils have a lot of power. Like L.A., they have tremendous power. They, they basically run the city. The mayor basically does nothing in yeah. L.A. Um, but in, in Pawnee, they're kind of mid-level effective. I love, the, I love the town halls. I love, they make me laugh. They're my favorite part as a fan of the show. And they were always super fun to do because they're just free shots on goal for you guys, for the writers. It's just a joke bag and you get funny actors and the ones you love, they keep coming back. And some of them even like have personalities later on. Like there's one guy who who keeps leading chants. Like he just starts leading chants. So like, <laughs> and it was just a guy who, who just every meeting he would come like, okay, what chant can this guy do? And he, he must've appeared in 10 episodes. He just keeps coming back. And then, and, and little things like I noticed Ron Swanson in the episode, when the, when the town hall goes awry, Ron Swanson is like is disturbed by it and tries to help Leslie through it. Later on, Ron Swanson will be looking into the camera gleefully and applauding. <laughs> it's it's figuring out character dynamics, and you're totally right. Uh, again, it's just hard to watch these, or I should say, it's great. It's not hard because it's fun. It's it's fun to watch these first episodes and go. Ron Swanson doesn't have a pompadour. Yeah. Wait a minute. Ron Swanson's in a suit. He's the suit drives me crazy. What? He's wearing this beige suit like every episode. Like this is so weird. Because I I used to marvel at the fact that um, it always seemed like it was hotter than Hades when we shot Parks and Rec. Always, Personally, we were in the in the valley. Um, if you know anything about LA, you know that if you're in the valley, it's always ten degrees hotter for sure. And Ron um, Swanson not only wore sweaters, but they were wool. And I was just, I just couldn't believe that Nick had to wear that every single day. But in the beginning of the show, he's in a suit. Yeah. I mean, he's like dapper. 
It's like it, it's like, and and poor Nick, you, you know, just a soldier. He never complained, but just yeah, I remember no, never. those red sweaters and the basketball episode he wore to sort of mirror Bobby Knight, and he's just constantly wearing sweaters like layers and layers. I'm like, dude, it's a hundred degrees. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's supposed to be like cold in Indiana, so everyone's wearing like heavy clothes. That happened a lot on parks, right? It's like people wearing a lot of like it's a Christmas episode. Meanwhile, it's a hundred degrees in L.A. It just a, this seems like an episode for me. Well, because it's the second episode, as you say, and it's you're really digging into the characters now. So back on the theme of Leslie not being the Leslie that she became, she has a joke in here that she would never say in season two. And that joke is, I've got sunscreens for all of your beaks. And then she looks at Tom and goes, you won't need any. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> Can't do that. <laughs> not doing that joke today. Can't do that, man. I mean, it's so funny because so many people who work on the show are like, you know, super woke people now, but it's, it's 10 years ago. The climate was different. It's like when you go back and watch Friends or something. It's like, God damn, they're doing some crazy stuff on Friends. <laughs> and you, everyone was watching that show. But look, the world has changed. And that's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah, it, it, is, it is interesting to go back and look look at how, how comedy, you know, is always a barometer of the times that more so than, than drama is really a barometer of the times you're living in. Yes, it's, that's actually a good point. That's actually a good point. Here's the thing I'll say also about comedy. You know, I'm not saying... People don't get enough credit, but I will say when people talk about the greatest, greatest work, greatest works of, of art, of film and television, you know, you always naturally go to the dramas. But comedy is hard. It's really hard to execute correctly. And when it's bad, everyone hates it. And it's, you know, like you can do kind of a mediocre drama. It's like, yeah, it's fine. You know, you don't see the. But if you have a, a comedy that no one's laughing at, it's like it's bombing. It's bombing. And there's a, the floor is low. <laughs> the floor is really low. So, no, it is fun working on 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 comedies you believe in and, and, and that work, man. And it's. It's a, it, by the way, it's a, a more fun shoot day. Forget the writer's room. Like, Rob, like, you can speak to this. You know, a comedy shoot day is just, it's just different. I talk to actors all the time who do both, and it's a drama. It's like, at the end of the day, man, what a great day of work. Everyone was in tears. And you go home and you're sad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that's your good day, right? And in comedy, it's like, yeah, everyone had a great time. Everyone's laughing. Go out for drinks after. Like, it, 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 is, it is this bonding thing. So, so that's something I, I talk about with my friends who do do both, like you. It, it's, it's fun, man. I, I like to mix it up because, you know, there's some stories that need to be told dramatically of course but but comedy is fun and i, I think I'll, I'll keep coming back to it until uh, i'm aged out and i have nothing funny left to say same same <laughs> i mean i always people when and they asked me what doing parks and rec was like as an actor um i had just come from doing brothers and sisters drama uh with sally field and close to flockhart and uh john robin bates and greg berlanti were the guys who were in charge of it so all good but it's drama and man, I was done. By the time I was, I mean, I literally ended that show with me with a piece of rebar through my head, like Steve Martin <laughs> oh with the God. arrow. That's, that was how my character went out. I mean, that, that tells you how done I was. Um, because you can only do so much of that, and it just takes it out of you. And I did, I did four years on that show, and then I did four years on Parks. And by the, when I was done on Parks, I, I felt like I'd never started the only thing that felt like work was how early I had to get there. That's it. The rest of it was like, oh, and Amy's here. Great. Oh, what time is Pratt coming in? Oh, he's co- oh is this easier? Nah, he's not here today. Oh, well, I'm going to see him on Thursday. It was like going to a party. And, yeah. And it's like play. And, and the more people in the scene, the better. It's like, oh, my God, I haven't done a scene with, with, with Aubrey recently. I haven't done yep. a scene with Adam recently. And like, yeah, we still, we still keep in touch, man. It's, it's, it's just very fun. And, and um, I feel like, you know, Aubrey texted me one second before this this recording she was like do you do you have any recommendations for modena like can you help me with this one restaurant it's like yeah we're still buddies and that's i don't think that's the case on every show right i think 
uh, again, a testament to, uh, I'm a broken record with this, but testament to Mike and testament to Amy, because it, it comes from them and, and, and the atmosphere that they set, but it's, it was a really group, good group. I feel like no bad apples and, 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 and just really fun. And that's what people want to hear. I know they want to hear that, but it is true on this one. <laughs> it's like, I, we're not lying. Like it is true. It was, no, it was it, and it is experience. not, it's not true on everyone. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I've been on shows that were wildly, wildly and and some that were wildly, wildly unsuccessful. But where 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 just the atmosphere was not good, and then I've been on a couple shows in particular where there was a lot of dissent among the actors, and you would just think, "Oh my God, I have to work with this person again." That happens. It does. Yep. Uh, not on this. I mean, and I think that love and respect. And you know what I think it stems from? Look, it, it's look, it's it's Greg and and Mike's picker at the end of the day. They're responsible for, for who's on the show. And the people on the show are not only nice people, but they're all this is the thing, super super generous. Like they want the others to be as funny as they are, if not funnier. Yeah, and and that's certainly you know that was true of the writers' room as well. I I, I really feel like you know a lot of talented people, but really just uh, 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 you know a dream job in a lot of ways. I loved seeing Aziz again because we're watching these characters as embryos growing into full fledged comedy beings, and when he put the headphone on and started making the cold calls, I was like, ah, here we go. But even that wasn't the version it would have been down the line. Because, and here's what I know. I go, what's different about it? Why is this the beginning of Tom Haverford we love, but still not the Tom Haverford we love? And here's my thought. Here, I'm going to posit this to you, Alan Yang. Tell me if I'm right. The main thing, even though he's doing his double speak, like running a game on people, which Tom w- did all the time. What he's not doing yet is he's not name-checking every single culturally significant thing in the planet. Not once. And that, there's no way he gets through that moment in later scenes without quoting Kanye West or talking about Yeezys or or something really even more obscure. No way. Yeah. You can feel it. I, I was actually going to say something similar about those moments. You know, we're talking about the filibuster being a sort of unlocking moment for Leslie's character. For Z's, when he's in those scenes doing the headset thing, and then even at the end where he's hustling, like when he, I think he pitched some of these bits. I think some of these were improvised, some of them weren't. But, you know, he goes up to the Don Cement guy and he's like, here's a, here's a jingle for you. Best bit, whatever. He does, like he's doing that. That's all kind of improvised. And, um, you know, some of it was improvised anyway. And, and you can feel like, yeah, his energy is just much, much higher when he's allowed to kind of cut loose like that. And you'll see that. And then, you know, of course, later on, there's a lot more uh, rappers referenced. But <laughs> in this one, I also I also like just the last line of the episode, which is very sort of, I think, you know, character building for Leslie, which is, you know, Andy's neighbor, Lawrence, is leaving. And he's like, hey, Park Lady, you suck. And Leslie's like, hear that? He called me Park Lady. Like that's like see, like making it you know an optimistic, turning any negative into a positive. You know, looking on the bright side, and 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 so that's all in there. And I think in this episode, it's sort of a melange of that and the sort of more cynical, ruthless version of Leslie. And I think that part falls away. And so, um, you know, a lot of funny jokes in this episode, but but uh, that one was really sort of on character. By the way, this is the, apparently one of the only episodes where Jim O'Hare is not in. 
out of all. And he actually technically is in it very glancingly at the very, very top. The camera pans through yes. and you see him in the background. But he has no, this is the only episode of Parks where he has no presence whatsoever. So the best episode? And it's, that's why it's the best <laughs> episode because Jerry is not in it. I mean, we know when Jerry Gergich is in something, it's hard to be good. I mean, we everybody who knows Parks and Rec deeply knows how we feel about uh, Gary Jerry Gergich. Um, I could be wrong, but I think that Retta, who plays Donna, is is credited as Retta Sirleaf. She's still using her last name. This became before she became Retta, one name, which I think is such a baller move. I yeah, mean, I really like that. I like I, that she uses one name. I, I love that. That was her last name. Yeah, I, I was. I can't even pronounce it. I'm looking, <laughs> reading jarring. it right now. I don't even know because she's. Retta, yeah. When you go one name, you're throwing down the gauntlet. I mean, you when you decide you're a one, you're a one namer, you're like, you know, Madonna, Cher, um, Bono. I mean, you're saying I've arrived, motherfuckers, and I am throwing down for the rest of my life, and she does. But this is. Clearly, she hadn't made that call yet. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Shall we do the, the potty town hall? Let's let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's right? town hall. So this is a segment where we take questions from you guys, the listeners, the citizens. Um, why don't we do this one? This question comes from Margaret in San Diego. What is something Rob learned from being Chris? Here it is. Water. Have it in my hand. Be hydrated. I am 90% water. And so are you. <laughs> um, I, I would say... Yeah, I mean, look, Chris's thing is is optimism, and it's like you got. By the time I came on the show, you guys were so dialed in. You guys knew what the show was. You knew how to write to the people that were coming in, and that's why when I came in, I had a a meeting with you guys and the writing staff, and you guys just got to know me and wrote to me and to my foibles and things that make that make me different than any other actor that would have done it and the health part of it and the sort of optimism and the energy um th- that that became the hallmark of, of chris and um because i think that's one of the things that, that that has always driven me and um what chris taught me was just to hold on to that stuff and um of course to be hydrated and you know if i'm gonna have a, a vitamin that's big enough um that may be a choking hazard to make sure i have someone you know with me 
uh, to help me do that in case I need the Heimlich. That was a, a move that Chris had that um, that I particularly thought was um, really, really smart. I love that, man. I also uh, drink so much water, it almost might be unhealthy. Too much water. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a secret, man. That's a secret to energy. But it, it is funny when you take, you know, aspects and characteristics from the actor or actress themselves and put them into the character. And then it's almost like a, a, a recircling where like, oh man, like those elements of myself kind of redouble into my own life, right? That's like, it is true. I think, I think that was true of a lot of the actors. Like, yeah, I'm going to lean into this. <laughs> like I'll, this, this character is like a heightened version of myself. It's like, maybe I am like that. You learn even more from it. But uh, yeah, certainly it was a character was really fun to write for. And, and, and um, you know, obviously you brought so much to it. Thank you. All right. That was Pawnee Town Hall. You know what we haven't talked about? And that maybe this is, and it's so interesting. I, I, I think that it's, Indicative. We haven't mentioned once Mark Brandanowitz. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about him at some point. Obviously, he's going to come up, but man, it's a loaded cast. Everyone's super funny and super, like, like, like Rob said, in the tone of the show. And then when we added, you know, Rob and Adam, uh, same thing. It was like, everyone's really funny and they're, they're great. It was like, um, people forget in the West Wing, Moira Kelly was second build. Moira That's Kelly. Cool. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, you just don't remember that. And, that, and it was like, by the end of the first season of the West Wing, it was like, glaringly obvious it happens it happens it does happen it happens on a lot of shows that you don't even remember you know you get yeah i, I don't know by the but. way I'm, I'm a big fan i'm a big fan as a as an ep producer of when when you know that do something about it early and not late yes think about it. we did another hundred episodes without him hundred yep. episodes yep and that's all we have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to our recap of Canvassing Episode 2 of Parks and Rec. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. Thanks to producer Greg and producer Schulte. See you next week. Goodbye from Pawnee. This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Tamika Adams, Greg Levine, and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Byrne. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. 
Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.